following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. As the fourth and fifth graders are continuing in worship, uh, if you would open up your Bibles to Second Peter, chapter four. Second uh, Peter chapter, or not four. Second Peter chapter two, verse four. How about that? That's a little better. Second Peter chapter two, uh, verse four, or <laughs> verse four through nine. Bear with me here this morning. All right, we've been walking through Second Peter. And uh, we're just kind of carrying on with the text. Second Peter is written by, anyone? Peter, good. All right, absolutely, okay. Uh, that was an easy one. A little bit of a softball this morning, all right? Uh, Peter is an apostle. He is one that has seen Jesus and been commissioned by Jesus. Let's look at verse 1 through 3, and uh, we're going to backtrack a second just to see where we've been in case you missed last week, and then we'll get into verse 4. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, But false Prophets. Now he's speaking there about the Old Testament prophets, okay? Arose among the people, and just as they did so, there will be false teachers among you. Everybody say, uh oh. <laughs> Here it comes, all right? Who will secretly, what will they do? They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves a swift destruction. And God's people said, Amen to that. That's a good word, okay? Um, and many will follow their sensuality because they are creatures of the flesh. It doesn't say because they're creatures of the flesh in the text, but that alludes to it. That's that immorality that we talked about last week. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. They will do everything they can to distort the truths of Jesus Christ. And most of these false teachers will come up from the church. They will come up from uh, the individuals in the church. And this is their MO. This is their goal. This is their whole uh, thing that they're trying to do, is they're trying to get people to commit apostasy, to deny their faith that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And in their greed, verse 3 says, they will exploit you, say me, that truth that was written to this church way back in the New Testament is the same truth that is written to you, okay? So we have to put ourselves here in the text. And what we realize is they will do so with their false words. It will be a tingling to your ears. It will seem on the surface that it is good, but we know that it's not. And their condemnation from long ago is not idle. God will come, and their destruction when he comes will be uh, fast. And their destruction is not asleep. So let's look at verse now, here's what Peter's going to do for us today. He's going to walk through how God deals with the wicked and the righteous. And I'm essentially giving you the sermon all at the start so that you can kind of see where we're going and have an opportunity to see where we're going, okay? In verse 4, it says this, For if God did not spare angels, and he's going to give examples of what he did with the wicked, and then he's going to give one example of what he did for the righteous. This is the examples of the wicked. Verse 4, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, speaking of Noah, um, 
a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And then verse 6, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And then uh, it kind of turns a little bit into verse 7. He says he rescues righteous Lot. That's kind of an interesting passage of Scripture there. We'll get there. Who is greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented by uh, his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Nine, when the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. That's the promise at the very end. Okay, so that's where we're going. What does God do with the wicked? How does that apply to today? What does he do for the righteous? And so let's start with three examples from the Old Testament about how God deals with the wicked. Now, this is going to help you, okay, understand Old Testament texts. We're not going to uncover all of this stuff because there's a lot of content here, but hopefully it will give you a good idea of the Old Testament and see how God dealt with these individuals and then uh, how God's going to deal with it today. So very first thing, verse 4, he says there are fallen angels. They're called demons, okay? Fallen angels, they're called demons. Now, what is transpiring in the church? is that people are getting cautious in regards to what the apostles are talking about because Jesus has not come back yet. Okay, Jesus isn't coming back. They knew that Jesus said, I will come back again. Keyword when? Soon. All right. And Jesus isn't coming back. And so if Jesus isn't coming back, then maybe the destruction from God's not coming either. So they're doubting what the apostles are teaching here in the text. And Peter says, hold on a second. You can persecute us all you want. You can push us all you want, but it's still coming, okay? The rebuke is coming because it came in the past, and it came in the form of these fallen angels. Now, we know that fallen angels sinned in two ways, okay? Either the first way was they fell with Satan in Ezekiel chapter 28 when he rebelled against God. So Old Testament context. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15. You don't have to go there, but it says, you, speaking of the angels, were blameless in your ways, but then all of a sudden you had unrighteousness uh, found in you because you went away from my truce. All right, so that's the first way that we see these angels fell. Or number two, in Genesis chapter six, it says that angels or sons of God came to earth and married mortal women. And that is a sermon for a totally different day, okay? We're not gonna get into that uh, this morning just because of, yeah, you're, you're, you're correct. Okay, fallen angels is what we're looking at in regards to punishment. So what is their punishment and how does that relate to the false teachers who are prevalent in this society, but also the false teachers who are prevalent today. Well, number one, okay, they were cast into or handed over or delivered into hell. Now, this is really interesting if you are reading this text in a New Testament context. That word hell is a Greek word that is translated to Taurus. And it's in Greek mythology, and Tartarus was the abyss under earth reserved for punishment. So track, just for a second. It didn't matter if you were spiritual, in other words, somebody who had a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, or you were secular, all people in that time period believed that there was a place of torment reserved for people who had done wrong. 
So what Peter's doing is he's putting everybody on the same page. You believe that there is a place that is reserved for punishment. Now, the interesting thing about Tartarus is the Hebrews took that and they renamed it Sheol. So when you read in the Old Testament of this place called Sheol, it was a substitute for that Greek word, which is Tartarus, a place of punishment. We know in Colossians 2, this is where Jesus went after he died on the cross, before he resurrected, where he claimed his victory over these fallen angels. That's important in the context. So secular or sacred, we would know that people believe that there is a place where they go where they're punished for wrongdoing. We call it, in today's society, hell. Okay, From Tartarus to Sheol to hell, it is reserved for people who have rejected the cross of Jesus Christ. And what people do is they look at us and they say, how could God condemn somebody to hell? No, God doesn't condemn people to hell. He simply gives them what they're asking for. They've rejected God. They've rejected his salvation. And so God says, because you have rejected me, this is where you will go. All right, so cast into hell, number one. Two, chains of gloomy darkness. Now, that word chain and pit, you could circle that if you have the word pit there. Again, used by the Greeks to describe what they call this world of dead. Now, they say there is not only a place where you go when you have committed wrongdoing, but it is not a good place. Okay, despite what popular media tells you, there's some new popular TV shows out about these people who die and they go to uh, another world. And it's, it's very comfortable. It's not that way, okay? That's not true. That's not truth. This is a place of gloomy darkness. These sinful angels are going to be kept in hell, this place of punishment, until the judgment has come through. So, all of that to say, um, one commentator says, through, uh, though God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, namely angels here, he must judge the wicked because his holiness requires it. He is a holy God. He requires this, giving them over to their own devices. And if this was said and true about the angels who fell, who rejected God, the same is true in regards to the teachers who were falsely preaching a gospel that was contradictory to the one that we have received. Okay? So what he's saying is God's going to hand these people over. If God, in his justice, punished fallen angels, then surely he will not hesitate to punish false teachers. So what we have to think about is whose side do we want to be on, right? Whose side do we want to be on when Jesus returns? Do we want to be in the camp of false teachers or do we want to be in God's uh, uh, loyalty on his side? When we're tempted to become fearful or discouraged regarding evil, ask the Lord to remind you of his sovereignty over evil and do what you can to serve God by resisting this. Okay, so there's number one. Now go to verse five. Then he talks about the flood, all right? We believe in a worldwide flood. This really truly happened, and we know it happened because there's this ginormous ark in Kentucky that Noah built. Okay, and you can go visit it. So very, very, very neat, okay? Another example of God's certain judgment was when, Peter says, he brought a flood 
on the ungodly. So the word, uh, the world before the flood is considered ancient. So if you're tracking along in the text, you would circle that word ancient because it's very important. Peter, essentially what he does is he divides history into three stages. So a little bit of dispensationalism here from Peter. Uh, That's another sermon for another day too. But first of all, he says there's an ancient world, Old Testament. There's a present world, New Testament. And then there's a new world that will come when the day of the Lord happens and transpires. Okay, so ancient could be rendered a long time ago. All right, now not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, just a long time ago. Okay, Old Testament. And we ask the question well, what did God do in that ancient world? What did he do? Well, he did two things. Number one, he did not spare the ungodly. This is important. Ungodly in Greek is the word irreverent. And it means people who did not give God the proper praise that he so rightly deserved. So if you see Peter's words there, what he's saying is these were people who were unfaithful and disobedient to God's will and ways, his laws. And in the ancient world, when God brought a flood upon it, he covered, now that's a key word there, he covered the world with worldly water where people uh, were, who disobeyed him were buried by their own materialism. So isn't it interesting, Peter uses this, this wording where he's saying there's people in the Old Testament who wanted so badly to be of the world, and what God did is he covered them in their own worldliness. He gave them over to the thing they desired. And what happened is it ultimately killed them. But he spared the righteous. Now, Peter must have loved the flood. It might be his favorite Bible story in regards to being an Awana student. Awana wasn't back then. Okay, I understand that. But it impressed him. Look, he says it three uh, times in two letters. 1 Peter 3.20 talks about it. 2 Peter 2.5. He talks about it again in chapter 3, verse 6. Now look at this. Noah was four things. And let's just walk through this. Could this be said about you? Could this be said about you where you're at in this time period dealing with what we're dealing with? Number one. Noah was a righteous man. He was in right standing with God. What does that mean? Noah had a relationship with God through faith. And what we see is we too have to have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. That makes us righteous. You cannot be righteous without a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Number two, Noah was an obedient servant of God. It was not enough for him to just know the living God, have conversations with the living God, but he was obedient to the living God. He did what God told him to do. Anyone, James says, who knows the right thing uh, uh, to do and does not do it for him or her, it is a sin. And so what we see here is Noah was sanctified way before sanctified was cool. Number three, he was a shipbuilder. God gave Noah a gift, and he says, I want you to utilize that gift. I want you to go out there and I want you to use your gift for the glory of God. Isn't it amazing that Noah uses his hands to glorify God? You're telling me that I don't have to be a preacher? Praise the Lord, right? I can use my hands for the gospel of Jesus. Amen. But notice Noah was an obedient servant of God. Now, number four, here's the interesting thing. He was a preacher or a teacher, if you will. And what Peter says is Noah was a herald of righteousness. You know what that means to be a herald of righteousness? 
That means that he spoke out about the corruption in regards to the moral uh, inexcellence that was transpiring. He said this is what's wrong with the world, is that we're not conformed to the word. And Noah being a herald of righteousness is something, if he were standing here today in physical presence, he would say, you too can be a herald of righteousness by looking at our society and saying to them, it is not about materialism, it is about being morally excellent in regards to being sanctified and set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, Noah, four things, okay? Just how you doing, how you lining up with those four things. Are you righteous because you have a relationship with God through faith in Christ? If not, there's a little blue bookmark in front of your pew. You can go ahead and check that out. Number two, are you sanctified and set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ, doing what he's asking you to do? Or are there habitual sins in your life? Is there deliberate disobedience that is transpiring? Because deliberate disobedience affects our giftedness. It affects God using us for his glory. Also, we know that we need to proclaim the truth. Or as Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you would believe. Righteousness is an ethical term meaning upright moral behavior or living according to God's will and purpose. So Noah being a herald of righteousness means that he was not only righteous himself, but he also proclaimed righteousness. He taught righteousness. He announced righteousness. He said righteousness. His words lined up with his actions, and his actions lines up with his words, so that people in that society would live good lives according to God's will and purpose. And it tells us in Peter how many people were saved because of Noah's being a herald of righteousness. Anyone? Seven, right? Eight, including him. Okay? So for this reason, he and other people were saved when the flood came. The same should be said about us today. The same should be true about God's church. The primary focus of 2 Peter 2.5 is the unsparing hand of God on a world filled with ungodly people. I think sometimes in our society, people look at it and they go, but they're so great. There's so many, right? Daniel experienced this, didn't he? And Daniel, the whole world was against him, literally. And he had just had a couple of buddies and all of a sudden, uh, things just started to get completely turned around because of their faithfulness to God. Peter reminds his audience, and us today, if we're going to live righteous lives, we have to proclaim righteous truths so that we'll be preserved or kept safe. Because to be covered in grace is to be way better than covered in worldliness. If we are covered in God's grace, that is so much greater than being covered in worldliness. And we see it here in the text. Okay, so there's the warning number two. There's the flood. Don't let these people come and infiltrate you. Then you have Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh boy, here we go. Okay, third example is here is God's punishment of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, do you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham? You guys remember that from being uh, young and in church? If you didn't grow up in church, that's okay. When I grew up in church, we had the felt boards. Anyone? Amen. All right. Donnie Nide used to put it up on the thing. And what I learned is when I got older is nobody looks like they look on the felt board. And that's okay. All right. I don't know why. They're all American and blonde hair, blue eyes. No, no Arabs whatsoever. Okay. Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, he has a conversation with God. Remember this? And he says to God, God, if there's uh, 150, 75 people, will you still destroy the city? And, and God's like, nope, won't do that. And then his numbers just dwindle down, right? You remember that story? And all of a sudden what we learn is that there was not even 10 righteous people who could be found in Sodom and Gomorrah. You don't have to turn there, but Genesis 19, it says this. 
uh, from burning them to ashes, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all of the plain. Abraham, he looked down on Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the plain, and he saw the smoke of the land going up like smoke of a furnace. Now, the interesting thing is, if you study Sodom and Gomorrah, there's many Jews who believe that the Dead Sea covers Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why it's unfruitful. And so, here what we see, regardless of whether you believe that or not, we see that God's destruction by fire is a classic example of universal destruction of the ungodly. In Genesis chapter 10, it clearly outlines that while Peter doesn't elaborate on the cause for destruction, his purpose is to note that it happened. And it transpired. And it would do us well to make some examples of the similarities that are going on between the two ancient cities here and what's going on in ours today. So we want to do a little parallel learning here today. We would ask, is our city, is our nation, is our world like Sodom and Gomorrah? Because I hear this all the time, right? Uh, Pastor Jordan, are we like Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, let's see six signs that a nation, we just want, don't want to put ours in, in the mix, let's put everybody's in the mix, right? Of becoming like or already is like Sodom and Gomorrah. You tell me, you decide. Number one, they compromised sin. In Sodom and Gomorrah, the false teachers came in and they compromised or justified their own sin. You've never done that, right? I've never done that. All of us, we just, man, we're just so clean before the Lord, right? We don't justify our sin. Yes, we do all the time, okay? It says in Genesis 13, the men of Sodom were so wicked and so great sinners of the Lord, they could have cared less about their sin. So they justified it. Number two, we realized there was a decline of morality in regards to just ethics. Now, think of our culture in our world, remember? Now, some of you guys uh, a lot older than I am, some of you guys a little older than I am, but let's just think about TV shows 10 years ago, 20 years ago compared to today, right? My grandma watches TV and she is dumbfounded. She goes back to that black and white channel all the time. Just put it on the black and white channel, everything's good, right? we got to go back to that society. She says, I don't understand why they would put cameras in somebody's house and follow these people around. That's so crazy to her, right? But look at this. It says there's a decline of morality. Number three, there's corruption in leadership. Oh boy, holy cow. Are we checking these boxes today? Man, it says that there were political leaders who were bribed in the Old Testament and New Testament by special interest groups. Whew, we're just going to leave that one right there, okay? Number four, people will call what is evil good and what is good evil. Do people do that in our society today? People look at it and say, well, it's not so bad. We judge our sin and our transgressions against other people's sin and transgressions instead of uh, lining it up next to the word of God. So oftentimes what we do is we say, well, my, I'm not as bad as my neighbor, right? Who does that? We do that all the time. Look at the last two. He says, there's so much sexual immorality that come in. Sex is blatantly posted and advertised unapologetically. I don't even want to drive through big cities anymore with my kids because of the billboards that are up in those cities. Amen? And if you've never driven by there, it's okay. You don't have to. But man, there are so many things where it's just so, uh, the sexual promiscuity is just so prevalent in that society. Number six. This is the worst one. And we would think all five of those are horrible, but look at the sixth one. There's no fear of the living God. There's no fear of the Lord. And what Proverbs tells us is, in chapter 15, verse 33, it says, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. 
And when a nation no longer fears God, they welcome his wrath. And that's my concern for America and other nations who are going against what God's word says. When a nation no longer fears God, they welcome his wrath. So Peter explained, God sent an unmistakable message to all future generations through Sodom and Gomorrah. The wickedness results in judgment. And these cities ending is an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. Great suffering is for the ungodly. Punishment, gloom, banishment. New heaven and new earth cover the old heaven and new earth in its wicked ways. Amen. Praise the Lord. So if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, we look forward with great anticipation to the new heaven and the new earth, right? That's our home. Like, I'm just passing through this world. I'm just an alien living here on planet earth. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. And man, if I'm going to be on Christ's side, all of these punishments that are contained are not for me. Now, here's the really interesting example here, okay? One example of divine deliverance. And this is an example that we look at. If we know our Bibles, we're like, wait, hold on a second. Peter, I think you went off the rails, bro. Like, I think there is something way off about you because he talks about this guy named Lot. What? Lot is so simple. Are you crazy? Noah was protected from the flood. Abraham's protected from the flood. And here comes Lot. And we got to know two truths about Lot or we're going to think Peter just fell off of his rocker. Number one, we know that Lot was troubled. He was a troubled soul. If you go back in the Old Testament, it says that Lot settled. This is Genesis 13. You don't have to go there. It says Lot settled among the cities of the plain, and he moved his tent as far as Sodom. That was his first mistake, right? He went to dwell in the city. You shouldn't go dwell in the city. You should dwell outside the city, okay? You don't need to go to the city to see the city's corrupted. And Genesis says that Lot doesn't appear that righteous. I'll prove it. In Genesis 19, it says that he was pretty immoral, and he got drunk a couple of times, and he was a weak soul. And yet, Peter says, he hated the sin of his culture, and he wanted to protect the society he was there. So Lot finds himself essentially in an, a non-ideal situation. And that is that he had moved to the city and become consumed by the city, but the conviction was still taking place in his heart. Isn't it amazing that God might put you in the world and you might be consumed by the world, but conviction's still going to come. And that's what happens with Lot. He starts getting really convicted about what's going on and transpiring in his town. And so much so, he had a passion and a heart for that town, and he didn't want to leave that town. Sometimes you will become so worldly, and you'll become so attached to the world that somebody else has got to pull you out of the world so that you can see the word in its proper perspective. And that's what happened to Lot. The angels, it says, drug him away, and he didn't look back. And he was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, because Peter says God rescued righteous Lot because he was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct that was transpiring and the wicked, lawless people that were there. And the same wasn't true for Lot's wife, right? Oof, not good, okay? And so what we see here is that Peter says perception is not always reality. Because Lot is righteous. That's what God's word said. He describes Lot as a righteous man who is horrified by evil cities. Did he have situations and circumstances in his life where, man, he, was, he wasn't doing what God wanted him to do? Absolutely. But isn't it amazing? God still rescues righteous Lot. Now, Jewish tradition, if you go way back and you study Jewish tradition, they will tell you that they look at Abraham's prayer and they think that Abraham was praying for Lot. 
They're looking at Lot and they're saying, hey, Lot, uh, I think you're so caught up in the city and I want to see you pulled out of that city. And a lot of them believe that Abraham's focused prayer was for Lot, who was a good, decent man at the core, but he was corrupt in regards to what was transpiring in the city. And so despite the city's sinful deeds, Lot was upright in what he saw and listened to because the conviction was strong. And so Lot, for all of his flaws, stood out as a righteous man in an extremely evil society. And when God chose to bring swift and complete destruction on evil of these cities, he saved his own. I think there's some people who want to serve Jesus, who desire to serve Jesus, but either one, they don't have a really good godly friend around them, or two, they're so caught up in the world that the church has essentially just abandoned them. And all of a sudden, they're looking for somebody to come and rescue them and pull them out. We all have problems. Lot had problems. And we all have problems that we're working on. And one person asked me this week, as they were reading through the Bible, they said, Pastor Jordan, does conviction ever go away? <laughs> oh, man, bless your heart. I, I've, heard, I've felt that a thousand times, right? Man, does conviction ever leave? No. Because God's spirit that is within us when we trust Jesus Christ is always at work in us. If anything, you should be excited about that, right? That God is convicting you of your sin. He's moving you away. See, God does a great work in Lot's heart because he's convicting him about the society that he lives in. But Lot still wants to see that city be saved. This is a tell of our spiritual condition. And let me tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you have a tremor in your soul about something that is transpiring in your life, you need to listen to the Lord and not yourself. Jesus tells us that this is radical amputation that needs to happen, right? He says, if your left arm causes you to stumble, cut it off. Now, I don't mean go home today and literally cut off your arms, okay? And he says, man, if your eyes cause you to stumble, you got to cut that out. What he's talking about is radical amputation. He says, listen, if you get caught up in the sin of the city, men, if you get caught up, women even, if you get caught up in the sin of your computer, guess what? You get to sell your computer, amen? And not just that, don't sell it, chuck it out the window, your phone causes you to stumble because you spend more time scrolling than you do sitting here and seeking, then you throw that out the window. Man, if you get caught up at the stores and you're all about the sales and the clearance and all that other stuff, then you got to get rid of the car, right? It doesn't matter what it is. We have to radically amputate so we don't get to be like Lot. God will move us in our hearts to make a real difference, but we have to be awake to see and hear how far society has removed itself from God's plan. So the prayer for us as believers is, God, open my eyes to the things that are not of you that I'm participating in. Open my ears to hear the things that are not of you that I need to get rid of. Open my eyes and ears to the things that I'm, I'm practicing, I'm doing with my hands and my feet so that I would get rid of it. And even in the unrest, believers today have to be tormented by sin around us and take heart in the knowledge that one day God is going to make everything right. The wicked will be punished and the righteous will be restored. Now look how Peter concludes it. We, we didn't read it for you for a while. So look at verse 9. This is really interesting. If the Lord knows. Can you just pause there for a second? The Lord knows. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that every time you go to God, his emotional condition is not dependent on his response to you? Amen. Praise the Lord, right? Every time I go to Jesus, I don't have to worry about if he's having a good day or a bad day. I don't have to worry if he's mad at me or not mad at me. He never changes. His personality is always the same, and he's listening to me. And not only is he listening to me, he knows. Those of you guys who are parents, you get it, don't you, right? Your kid comes up to you, i got to tell you something, Mom and Dad. Oh, man, I broke the window with the baseball. What do you say to him? I know, right? I remember I went on a fishing trip with my dad, and I told him some stuff I did in high school, and he looked at me, and he said, Jordan, I know. 
Man, it was like a weight that was lifted off me. I don't know why I waited 12 years to tell him that, but he knows. Look at this. If the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly or the godly from trials, man, praise the Lord. If he knows how to rescue us, the godly from trials, amen, praise the Lord. If you're on that side of the verse, you should praise the Lord. You should sing with your voice. Your life should be a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ because of the grace that you have received from God. But if not, and you're unrighteous, you've got to understand you're under punishment until the day of judgment. That should scare you. Man, that should shake you to the core. That should be something you look at and think to yourself, oh man, I, I need to be right with Jesus. Peter comforts his readers and us today of the changeless nature of God. If God has restored the righteous and will punish the wicked in ages past, he continues to do so. There will be a final reckoning, a final day of judgment when God will finally separate good from evil and give the final and eternal rewards to the righteous. Praise the Lord. Amen. Man, I, I want to pray for you, but if you have never made a decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to, as we're singing today, explore that little blue bookmark. Take a moment, just think about it, process it. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would love for you to just take a moment and say, God, am I like Noah? Am I a righteous man? Am I a righteous woman? Am I doing things that are conforming to your will and ways? Or am I conforming to myself? We need to think about these things as we respond in worship and song and some other things that we're doing here as a church day. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and the fact that it's truth. I love your word. It's so refreshing to me. Because right now, God, we look at our society and we see all these people are so far from you and so far from your truth. And we think to ourselves, should we just call down fire from heaven and get rid of them right now? And God, you tell us, in my time, in my ways, according to my will. And so, God, for all these false teachers out there, all these people who are preaching and teaching against the gospel of Jesus Christ, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come and let your judgment be upon them. But for us who are here today, God, we have a call to be diligent to the word that we have received. And we see uh, Noah and we see Lot. We see a man who is tormented by the sin that's transpiring in the society around him. And so, God, first of all, would you do something for us today? Would you convict us of the sin that is so easily tripping us up and entangling us? Would you convict us in our hearts? Would you convict us by your truth that there are things that we're doing in our life that we need to get rid of, radically amputate? And as we look at Noah, would you help us be righteous? Maybe for those people here who've never accepted you as Lord and Savior, that they would make the decision to do that today. For those of us who have, that we would be sanctified. And God, you know that word just is to be set apart for you. And that these people here today, as well as myself, I pray these things for myself, God, that I'd be set apart for your purpose, for your will, for your plans, for your purpose. That we would be a light for the darkness that we would be men and women who are so adamantly um, uh, just uh, seeking and searching your word and your truth so that we would have the ability to respond, as Peter says, to give an answer for those who ask us why we have this living hope, Jesus Christ. Help us to use our gifts, God, and ultimately for your glory and that we would be heralds of righteousness and speak into the darkness the truths that you have given to us. Now, God, as we sing together, as we continue our fellowship with each other, we ask that you convict us of these truths and that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. We love you, Jesus. We love you so much. We thank you for all of the things and that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ.
what a day of rejoicing it will be when you come to call us home. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.